Hey church, Philippians chapter three, we're um, getting to the end of it today. Uh, have you ever felt like you've been in a situation or a place where you just feel like, okay, I clearly don't belong here? I feel that sometimes like on weekday mornings. So if for whatever reason, if I take a weekday off, um, you know, it happens sometimes and I take the kids to the park like mid-morning. If I go at like 10 a.m. To, to the park and uh, it's, it's a weekday morning, um, I go and there's there's like every Atascadero mom is on like a play date there. And so there's like 10,000 moms at the park and then there's me with my kids. I'm like, okay, one of these things is not like the other things. And I'm like, uh, I don't know how, you know, I, I just feel like I clearly don't belong there mid-morning on a weekday at the park. Uh, or maybe have you ever been in like a different country and you were like the clear, obvious minority uh, there and you're not used to feeling like that? Or or you were just in a certain context or group of people where, uh, I don't know, they were just all of a certain, you know, style or trend or something. Or, or maybe you were like an opposing team uh, wearing those colors at an opposing team's like home game and it's like, I clearly don't belong here. Um, that's the idea that I want to talk about today, but really at the deepest levels of who we are, about belonging, that idea of, of I belong here or I don't belong here. You know, what is for you and I, where is home for us? And how does that change how we live? So here in Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21, let me read that and we'll flesh it out. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me, Paul is saying. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship, listen, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So there's these two ideas here that Paul is holding side by side in order to highlight the contrast, right? Basically, it's the difference between earthly citizenship and heavenly citizenship. That's that's what I see in verse 19 and 20. So verse 19, that, that's what earthly citizenship looks like. Their mind is is their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. As a citizen of earth, minds are set on earthly things. But then in verse 20 and 21, we see what heavenly citizenship looks like. Our citizenship is in heaven. From it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our body to be like his glorious body, so on and so forth. All I'm gonna say today is that you and I, we are citizens of heaven. And more specifically, you are a citizen of heaven and an ambassador to earth. You are a citizen of heaven and an ambassador to earth. If you hear nothing else today, just hear that. Because I know that sounds simple, but if we wrap our heads in our hearts around this idea, I think it really changes everything about how we experience life. To know that you are a citizen of heaven and an ambassador to earth, and it's not the other way around. Like this isn't your primary place of belonging. I think that's the holdup for us. It's very, very difficult for us not to live like our primary citizenship, like our primary place of belonging, our home, 
is this world. It's very hard for us to, to, to not live like that and to act like that. And that heaven is just like where we retire someday, like it's Florida, right? But we belong to heaven more than we belong here. We are citizens to the kingdom of God more than we are citizens here. I think this is especially tricky for you and me. I think it's probably a lot harder for us, honestly, than it is for a lot of the world. Because where we live and the time that we live in is a really special, exceptional thing. Both the Western world in general, but even America in particular. Even with its many sins and wounds and and buried shame, it is a very special place to live in a lot of ways. But there's an inherent challenge to that. See, the underground church in China probably gets this passage a little bit easier than we do, that their citizenship is in heaven more than it is in their earthly country. They probably understand that a little easier than we do. It probably comes a little more naturally to to kids in Indonesia who are disowned by their Muslim parents because they wanna follow the way of Jesus. The news of heavenly citizenship to them is like a no-brainer, right? It's like, of course we don't belong here. Of course we belong to another world. Of course we don't belong here under tyrants and religious oppression and injustice. Think about first century Roman citizens who would lose their lives. They were beheaded because they were declaring allegiance to another kingdom because they wanted to follow the same Jesus that you and I get to follow freely. They think, of course, we don't belong here. Of course, our citizenship is to another place. Of course, our citizenship is in heaven. Where else would it be? But it's harder for you and me. It's harder for you and me and... and, and Please hear me. This isn't me being unpatriotic. I think this is me observing and appreciating the many blessings of our time and our place, but also not being blind to its challenges. Jesus said it's easier for a camel to walk through the eye of a needle than for a person who thinks they have everything to grasp the kingdom of God. So here's here's what I'm saying. Because of the unique value of American citizenship, it is uniquely difficult for American citizens to live as heavenly ones. I think that's fair to say. Because of the unique value of American citizenship, I think it's uniquely difficult for American citizens to live as heavenly ones. It's difficult, but it's not impossible. So we have this contrast. Verse 19 shows what earthly citizenship looks like, and 20 shows us that there's a different way, how to live as citizens of heaven. So my hope for today, all it is, I hope that we would move very decisively and clearly from here to here. If there's any part of us that's, that's, that's grasping or holding on to this citizenship to earth, to the world, to the flesh, ultimately, that we would just move decisively from here to here, that we would live as citizens of heaven, who are ambassadors to earth. So talk about that idea. What does it mean to be an ambassador? Not a word we use all the time, but but something we understand in governmental, political world, right? Uh, You may have heard this saying, time in erodes awareness of. Have you ever heard that? Just the more time you spend in a certain environment, the less you are aware of the particular characteristics of that environment. Uh, The longer you work at your job, the less aware you are of the unique culture of your workplace. The longer you exist in your family, the less aware you are of how weird your family is or like why your family's weird, what makes them weird. Um, Only people who visit can see things objectively, right? You realize that? Like, like here's, your family's kind of weird because you do this. Your work is different and unique because you guys do this. Nobody points this out better than Febreze, 
Remember? Like, remember all those commercials? You've gone what? You've gone nose blind. Like a visitor comes in, and remember how they, they frame the commercials? Like, here's what you smell, and it's like nothing. And then it's, here's what the visitors smell, and it's like a moldy can of beans and like animated germs crawling on the walls and everything. And it's like, you've gone nose blind. And the thing is, only visitors, or, or ambassadors, you could call them, ambassadors to your environment, can see or smell things objectively. And they can say, no, this is what it actually looks like. Here's what it actually smells like. That's kind of what ambassadors are. They come from a different place. They represent a different culture, even a different set of values. And because of that, here's the thing. They can see things about your world, about your context that you've grown blind to. They can smell your problems out better than you can. And as they hold fast to their own culture and place, they can potentially have a really powerful impact on yours. What the world needs is not more citizens of the world, but more ambassadors to the world. What the world needs is more citizens of heaven who are ambassadors to the world, representatives of a different kingdom. People who, because they belong to heaven, they can have the most powerful impact on earth. Our world needs ambassadors for Christ. And, and I believe as ambassadors for Christ, as representatives of a different kingdom of, of heaven, uh, I, I want to see us being and doing three things. So three characteristics of an ambassador uh, of heaven. I, I believe that we uh, need to be free from local idols, faithful to the king, and focused on the kingdom. So one, a, a characteristic of an ambassador of heaven, of the kingdom of God, one is that we are free from local idols. If you look at what it says in verse 19, citizens of earth, here's here's the thing for them. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame, right? It's all about their desires, their cravings, and their minds are set on earthly things. It's about idolatry, their God, their glory, their focus, earthly idols. Interesting. I wonder what God's you know, when he says their God is their belt, when anytime Paul is talking about, you know, lowercase gods or idols, what gods would Paul have likely been thinking of? Back then with, with ancient cultures, there's, uh, there's definitely three primary ones that, that he likely would have had on his mind. There's these three, you may have heard, Mammon, Aphrodite, and Mars. And I want to talk about it for a minute. Track with me and we'll see where it hits us today. So Mammon, Aphrodite, and Mars, back ancient cultures, Mammon was the god of money. All about money. I mean, you, you worship Mammon for money. You, you seek to have money so that you can be satisfied. There was Aphrodite. Aphrodite was the goddess of erotic love. She's the goddess of sex. You worship at the altar of Aphrodite in a sexual way. And then there was Mars. Mars was the god of power power, violence, and war. Uh, It's so interesting. 17th, 18th century, depending on who you ask, what began in Europe and really um, translated all over the world was what we refer to now as the Enlightenment or the Age of Reason. It's like, believe it or not, for all the centuries before that, there was kind of this understood collective, like, you know, spiritual life is, is a normal, acceptable part of life. And then the Enlightenment hit, and, and then post-Enlightenment, it's like, okay, everything is secular, everything is rational, everything is natural, and anything that, that kind of touches on the spiritual is just nonsense, um, was sort of the ethos of the Enlightenment. 
But listen, post-enlightenment, who do we have? We have philosophers and, and thinkers like Nietzsche, Freud, and Marx. And, and for Nietzsche, he said it was all about money. Get money. That's it. Money. Success. You'll be happy. For Freud, all about sex. Sex is, is the path to self-discovery, to happiness, to fulfillment. And for Marx, all about power, right? All about power, control. So it's so interesting. It's kind of funny. You know, pre-enlightenment, ancient, ancient days, we look back and it's like, oh, those silly, you know, ancient barbarians with their gods and their idols, mammon, Aphrodite, Mars, money, sex, and power. And then today we just have this world formed by the, the worldviews and the thoughts of people like Nietzsche, Freud, and Marx. All money, sex, and power. There is nothing new under the sun. Because isn't that it? Like, isn't that, doesn't that sum up so much of the world? How much life is sacrificed on the altars of money and power? How many relationships? How much time and love? The things that matter most and they last for eternity. How much have you seen sacrificed in your own life because of your craving for more money, more power, more, more, more? I just need enough and it never happens. What about sex? Tell me that our culture isn't constantly making sacrifices on the altar of sex. That marriages and families and relationships aren't being put to death every day because the idol of sex has too strong a grip on our hearts. N.T. Wright put it so well. He said, how many million children, born or indeed unborn, have been sacrificed on the altar of Aphrodite? Denied a secure upbringing, because the demands of erotic desire keep one or both parents on the move. And Wright goes on just summarizing this idea of, of the activity of these gods, even in modern society. He says, Our society, claiming to have got rid of God upstairs so that we can live our own lives the way that we want, corporately and individually, has in fact fallen back into the clutches of forces and energies that are bigger than ourselves, more powerful than the sum total of people who give them allegiance, forces we might as well recognize as gods. We might as well recognize as gods. We think we're so intelligent. We think we're so rational and secular post-enlightenment. Right? Richard Dawkins ran this bus ad at one point. He said, there's probably, just across the sides of these buses, he said, there's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. Today we just think, man, those silly ancient people and their gods and their idols, they're so silly, so ridiculous. But these gods, listen, church, these gods, even if unnamed and inanimate, they are alive and well, served by millions. Church, we will never be effective ambassadors in the world if we are just as captive to its idols. These forces that have such a powerful clutch, such a powerful grip on our world, we will never be effective ambassadors to our world if we are just as captive to its idols. For freedom, you have been set free. You have to be free. We have to be free. We have to live in freedom. Our world needs to see what freedom looks like, and they're looking to you and me. There's nowhere else to look. We have to be free, free from local idols. As heavenly ambassadors, we also need to be faithful to the king. It's, it's the other side of the same coin. Faithful to the king. Verse 20 says, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we wait a savior, 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to those words. We await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So often, waiting is what faithfulness looks like. Waiting, showing that that you're denying potential other opportunities as you wait for this better, truer thing. So often, waiting is what faithfulness looks like. Think about Israel's story, right? That's what it was for them. Wandering in the wilderness time and time again, they just, they could not wait to see what God had for them. Even though he told them again and again, here's what it is. Here's what it's going to be. There's a promised land here for you. Here's what it's going to be. But time and time again, they could not wait. They, They didn't have the patience. And so they make a golden calf. Whatever, they worship whatever they can see. They say, well, well, the gods are working for those other uh, countries and those other tribes. Let's worship those gods. Maybe that will work better for us. And all the while, God's saying, no, no, just wait for me. I have a better way. Faithfulness for them would have looked like just waiting and patiently seeking the Lord. Even think about the disciples in, in Gethsemane, remember? Just falling asleep. Jesus said, couldn't you just stay awake and just watch with me for one hour? Just, just stay awake. Just stay faithful. And they couldn't wait. Church, just stay faithful to your king. Stay faithful to him. It is the only appropriate response to who he is and to what he's done. The only appropriate response to everything that Jesus has done is just to be faithful to him. To give him all the allegiance that you have. To give him all the commitment and all the faithfulness you have. It will be worth it. Listen, whatever it costs you to stay faithful to your king, your unfaithfulness will cost you more. Jesus has given everything. He has done everything for you. It is the only appropriate response to him. Be faithful to him. You are an ambassador to earth, of heaven. You belong to this kingdom. You belong to this king. And no matter what is vying for your attention down here, don't give your allegiance to it. You are faithful to a different king and a different kingdom. Stay faithful to him. And three, we're focused on the kingdom. We're free from local idols. We're faithful to the king. We're focused on the kingdom. If you look at verse 21, here's what it says. Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You know what that is? That's a snapshot of the fully consummated kingdom of God, where our bodies will be restored and redeemed, pain will be banished, equity and justice and peace will rule forever because Jesus is the king and all things are subject to him. Here's the really cool thing. So for us, as we focus on the kingdom, for us, you represent one of two uh, different cultures. With everything you do, every decision you make, Every relationship you have and conversation you have and, and way that you uh, exist throughout your day, you, you are going to represent one of two cultures, earth or the kingdom of God. The world right here, finite and temporal, or heaven. You're going to represent one of those two things. It's going to be a, a drop in one of those two buckets. The coolest thing is when you're focused on the kingdom, you can actually take those three idols, right? Those three like, like really prevalent things that, that seem to dominate the world, money, sex, and power. 
And you get to show that these things only find their place and their purpose and their fulfillment in and through Jesus of Nazareth. You get to see, okay, there's a better way to live with money where you use it for God's glory and it doesn't use you. There's a way to find significance that doesn't end in you grasping and trying for power and control constantly. There's a better way to find intimacy and love that doesn't end in sexual addiction and brokenness that just controls our society, plagues our society. There's a better way. You belong to a good kingdom. You have a good king who is Jesus. And your king has stuff to say about these things. He has a better way to live because you live with a different set of values. And the more you represent that culture, the more you can impact this one. Don't miss that. The more you live into that culture, the more you represent the culture of the kingdom of God, of of eternity, of heaven, the more you can impact this one. See, ultimately, you are free. As a citizen of a different kingdom, you are free in this one. But here's the thing. You're free not to escape, but to engage. Because that's where our minds will go. After we say all this, like, hey, we belong to a different kingdom. We're citizens of heaven. Uh, There's a a really likely chance you would get to a mental place where, okay, well, that just means I, I just escape, you know? Nothing about the present time or place matters. Nothing is significant. I just escape. Let's go. Let's just leave. Like I was made for another world. I don't, I don't care about any of this at all. That's, that's one way you could go. But that's not it. Remember, Jesus prayed in John 17. He prayed for you and me. And he prayed that we would not be taken out of the world. He said, Father, not that you would take them out of the world, but what? That you would protect them from the evil one. He says, they are, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. But don't take them out of the world. See, you are saved not, not to, to come from the world, but to be for the world. You're a citizen of heaven to be for the world. Tim Keller said it so well. He said, the citizens of God's city are the best possible citizens of their earthly cities. Why? Because the world that you and I live in, this finite temporal earth, this world craves the culture of the kingdom of God, whether they know it or not. Our cities, whether they are aware of it or not, our communities, they are starving for the values of heaven, not the values of the world, not just money, sex, and power. They're starving for something deeper. So no, it's not really money we want. We want satisfaction. It's not power. We want significance. We want to live a life of meaning and impact. It's not merely sex that we want. We want intimacy. We want to be known and we want to be loved at the deepest levels of who we are. These are values and cravings that were made by God and will only be found in God. The world is starving for justice, for peace, for hope, for comfort, unity, rescue, redemption. All these cravings, desires that God has spoken into the world. He's he's knit them into the fabric of our hearts and they are fulfilled in and through Jesus Christ and nowhere else and no one else. In and through Jesus Christ. The citizens of the world and of our cities, if they only knew, they would dream of citizenship to heaven. 
You dream of it. Belonging to a kingdom that has a good and faithful king, not the kinds of leaders we're used to. One who is loving and kind, slow to anger, abounding in wisdom, gives purpose to our lives, he gives meaning to our work, he gives peace to our families. He's a king who would offer up himself on on a cross to death so that you and I could live forever. That is your king. That is my king. That's the kingdom we live in. Are you kidding me? That's beautiful. That is so compelling. That is our good king, Jesus. Now, if our cities and our world would just see that in us, if they would see that, that allegiance, that commitment to a different king, to a different kingdom, if they would see that in us, man. It's church, we are citizens of heaven and ambassadors to earth. And I think when we grasp that, when we see that, Philippians 3, man, I think that changes everything about how we experience life. Let me pray for us. Father, I want to thank you that You call us citizens of heaven. And you are well aware of the tendency in our own heart to want to grab hold of and just grasp whatever different identities or allegiances are in front of us here in this finite world. And it's really difficult for us, God, especially in our time and place because of its many blessings and privileges. Because honestly, God, we live somewhere that's so good. Um, It's hard for us, probably harder than a lot of the world, to see our need for dependence on you, to see that our primary citizenship is not here, but it's with you in heaven. So God, I pray for, for better perspective. I pray for more eternal perspective. I pray that that we would go through our days daily, every day, knowing that we are citizens of a different kingdom. We serve a different king. Lord, would we uh, exhibit the culture, the value of your kingdom, and would we live that into this world? God, through each of us, would you change the world as we live as citizens of heaven? Jesus, we love you so much, and we worship you together. In Jesus' name, amen.